Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, April 17th, 2021. Well, it's Saturday morning, and Saturday morning is a fine time to go fishing. And we're going to see Jesus interact with some fishermen today. But more than that, he's going to call, I think, you and I to go fishing. And of course, we're not talking about going down to the Boise River or one of the lakes or ponds near your neighborhood. We're talking about being fishers of men. And we see Jesus make this call in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 28, as we read that passage, as we continue to start our journey through the gospel of Mark. Now, remember the verse we left off on yesterday, Mark 1:15. Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so as we think about Jesus saying that and Jesus teaching that, now he's going to enlist some people to help him in that mission of proclaiming the gospel and calling people to repent and believe. And that's going to be his disciples. And notice the words that he uses. It says in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, which was more of a lake there in the northern part of Israel. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to do a different kind of fishing. You're going to be fishing for men. And what in the world does Jesus mean? Well, since we have the rest of the gospel of Mark and we have the book of Acts and we have the rest of the New Testament, it seems pretty clear. What he means by fishers of men is that they are also going to be people who proclaim what Jesus proclaimed in verse 15, calling people to repent and believe in the gospel because the kingdom of God is at hand. They're going to be fishing for souls now instead of fishing for fish. And so we see that call go out to the disciples. And I think also, since we have the rest of the New Testament, I think it's accurate for us to realize this is the call that has now been passed on to faithful Christians all throughout the ages. Because one of the most popular terms that the New Testament uses to refer to followers of Jesus Christ is disciples. If you are saved, you are now one of his disciples. And I think Jesus is calling you to be a fisher of men. And we see that at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission. We see in Acts, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. And of course, initially, he gives that charge to the disciples, but really he tr- he charges them with then training other people to fulfill that mission and to pass that on to all the followers of Jesus Christ. So this Saturday morning, some of you might be heading out to do some fishing, uh, but God is calling all of us to be fishers of men. And we see a glimpse of the power of Jesus as he heals a man with an unclean spirit, a seemingly demon-possessed man who notice how good the theology of the demon is when he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Um, but Jesus shows his power over them. And that starts right here at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. The word is getting out about Jesus. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So there's that call to become fishers of men. And we are serving a savior who has all the power that is needed to accomplish this mission. Now, we need to think very, very carefully about this mission as we now transition to a very interesting passage of Scripture as we look at Romans chapter 9. We're going to look today at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And we need to be very careful as we approach a passage like this because it's going to teach us things that we struggle to to grasp as human beings. Romans chapter 9, we're going to swim out together into the deep end of the theological pool. And just like maybe a child uh, going into the deep end, what do they often do? They cling to the side of the pool, right? They want to stay where they can reach the edge and, and what makes sense to them, right? And sometimes that's what we are tempted to do when we go out into the deep end of the theological pool. We're, we're tempted to cling to something that makes sense and works in our own mind instead of sometimes really just trusting God and taking him at his word when his word is telling us something that kind of blows our finite human minds. Uh, Because you see here, as it talks later in the chapter, it starts to get into the question of Israel. And that's something we're going to see a lot in Romans 9 all the way through Romans chapter 11. But we start to see how God has a role really in choosing who gets mercy and who doesn't. And we see this in uh, verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And then verse 14 says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. By, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. And so there we see God has uh, power and God is sovereign in this passage. And even it uses this example of Pharaoh to show that God decides who gets mercy and God decides who gets hardened. And it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but it depends on God. Now, that's something that sometimes makes us a little uncomfortable to think about. But I think it's good for us to really read passages like this and wrestle with passages like this, uh, because it it is putting some things in some pretty strong ways here. Uh, But notice, I do think it does defend uh, this charge that some people might say, well, if, if God is sovereign, even over salvation, doesn't that make him unjust? And that's where he says no. And it's clear, even as it's presented in these things, that we are responsible. And I think God throughout scripture presents these truths of God is sovereign and humans are responsible. And again, that's where welcome to the deep end. And we want to try to resolve things uh, in our own mind because putting those two things together doesn't always make sense 
to our finite human minds. Because we want to say, well, if humans are responsible, how can God be sovereign over everything? And but if God's sovereign over thing, everything, how in the world can humans be responsible? But I think God is showing us right here and he's calling us to trust him that these things are true. And even I do think there's a somewhat asymmetrical relationship even between this mercy and this hardening, right? Where in verse 16, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills, right? Anyone that receives the mercy of God, we know, and hopefully if you're a Christian, you resonate with this. We don't deserve it. We did not deserve the mercy of Christ. He freely gave it to us. Uh, But then we see with this hardening, well, that's something we deserve. And even you think of what we've read in Exodus, sometimes it does talk about God hardening Pharaoh's heart, but also we see Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And so we see we are responsible for our sin. We are responsible for our judgment. Yet we also know in all of this, God is sovereign. And so then as we now go back to the beginning of Romans chapter nine, we're going to see something that really blows our minds and really is going to stretch our faith. Look at Romans nine, starting in verse one. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So even as Paul begins this lengthy section, really addressing the nation of Israel and some questions related to it, he starts with this incredible passion that he has for their salvation. And he describes this passion as great sorrow and unceasing anguish that he has in his heart. And that's where a lot of Christians today don't really think through these things well, because I think, again, we want to cling to one of the one of the sides, one of the edges. We want to cling to something that seems to fit into our finite minds, because basically I think what you're going to see is some people that really want to say, hey, he hardens whom he wills and he has mercy on whomever he wills. So what difference really do I have to do with that? God's going to do what he's going to do. So what difference does it really make what I do? And that is an unbiblical way to think. But then we're going to see, well, if some people have this passion for the lost, they might struggle to really accept some of the things expressed later in this passage. Uh, But God is calling us to embrace all of it. He is calling us to take him at his word. And we should have a passion for the lost. And this Saturday morning, as you think about being a fisher of men, I want to challenge you with that thought. Do you have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in your heart for the lost around you that don't know Christ? Do you ever stop and think about the road to destruction that they are on? Do you ever, you know, even when you look out at the world and you see a lot of the nonsense going on, obviously that's frustrating, but does some of it break your heart because of the judgment that is in store for so many of the people around us in our society? Frankly, many of us, we're not concerned enough about the plight of the lost around us. And we need to be challenged by a passage like this. And if we're ever tempted to use something like the idea of election as an excuse to not share our faith or to be somehow lax about that, realize we're totally going against what the Bible says. If anything, and I think if you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, you'll see this idea of election encourages him to evangelize. 
Uh, just like, hey, if I told you, hey, we're going to a pond to fish this morning and it is stocked, right? That's going to maybe encourage you to come where if it's like, ah, I don't know if any fish are out there or the way Paul thinks about it. No, God is going to save people. He has chosen people that he is going to save. Let's go get them. Let's go find them. And so I hope as we read through a passage like Romans 9, we don't kind of get off one way or the other, but we really focus on what it's actually saying and that we uh, praise God for his sovereignty, but we also embrace the responsibility that he has given us and even the burden that we should have for the lost as we think about being fishers of men. And it's important for us to even think about the great power of God. Sometimes being fishers of men can be uh, seem like an overwhelming task, but that's where we can be encouraged by something like Joshua 10 through 12. And so here, what happens in Joshua 10 through 12, remember yesterday, they make this treaty that they should not have made with the city of Gibeon. And some other kings hear about that. And so they go to attack Gibeon. And Joshua and the people of Israel, they keep their word and their, the covenant that they made with the city and go to help them. And kind of what's going on here, a lot of these kings that are now attacking Gibeon and going to get into this battle with uh, the Israelites, they're kind of from the southern part of the nation of Israel, the southern part of Canaan, kind of Jerusalem and even some cities south of Jerusalem. And so basically this is the conquest of southern Canaan. And we see here God do an amazing miracle. Even you think about the parting of the Red Sea or, um, you know, stopping the, the Jordan River here, God is basically hitting the pause button on the galaxy, right? That the sun stops in the sky. And so even as we think about that and we uh, think through the world revolving around the sun, we realize all the amazing thing, God not showing just his power over one body of water, but God showing his power over the universe, that he kind of freezes things where they are on the day of this battle. And that is the same God that you and I are serving. What an incredible power that God has. And even we see some shades of Romans 9 as we look at chapter 11, which then takes us to cities that are even up near the Sea of Galilee, more in the northern part of Canaan, and they're going to assemble. And this is going to be kind of the conquest of northern Canaan. And so as we see that, one verse that we see towards the end in verse 20 of chapter 11 is that for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive Receive no mercy, but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So there we see some similar thoughts to Romans chapter 9 here in Joshua 11. And then Joshua 12 really is a list of kings that were conquered by Moses and conquered by Joshua. Now, finally, we get to Psalm 48. Well, we'll read the first eight verses, and it's a psalm that even talks about the city of Jerusalem, speaks of it in a very exalted way. And then in verses 4 through 7, really, we see this image even of nations and armies gathering around the city of Jerusalem and being defeated by God. And even we see the power of God, even in military conquest there in uh, Joshua. But even as we think about all of that, one thing that got me thinking about was even what we know will happen in the end when the nations of the world will gather against uh, Jerusalem and even Christ is going to return and defeat the armies 
of the world. And so even just thinking about God's power shown in the conquest uh, back in Joshua, or thinking about God's power that will be shown in the end times, really, and the return of Christ, I hope that encourages us. And, and you're probably not facing a military conquest on this April Saturday, but as even as we think about the mission that God has given us to be fishers of men, may we be strengthened by the incredible power of God, even that we see today in reading God's word. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.